Good day, dear ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Eco-Civilization podcast of month June, inspired by the young entrepreneurship and creativity. My name is Tina Droltz, and with great pleasure, I'm presenting today my guest, the Eco-Civilization Wing of Austria, Mrs. Gabriela Marcellia, CEO at CG Impact Ventures, Aggie in Switzerland, president at Sirius Global, academic diplomacy for zero based in Italy, and director at Startup Grint in Croatia. Gabriela is an entrepreneur, educator, and impact innovator active in the field of management, research, and advisory on innovation, technology, crisis management, conflict analysis, international law, sustainable development, and growth. As a lecturer and moderator at international and economic legal forums, she's often been invited to be a speaker on law and new disruptive technologies, sustainable development and science diplomacy. She worked with three diplomatic missions and with the United Nations agencies. She was covering also digital and cybersecurity matters in a multinational management consulting firm. As the Startup Grint Director in Croatia, she's eager to co-create a community of innovators leading and building the future of tomorrow, while as the Sirius Global President, the leading international NGO based in Rome in Italy, she operates in the sector of education, culture, science and innovation. Dear Gabriela, Sirius Global launched an independent, apolitical global project comprised of three core pillars. First, a network of leading universities and research centers. Second, the International Research Hub. And third, the Gazette, a digital platform for zero. What is the aim of this global project and to whom you appeal? Wow, Tina, well, thank you uh, so much for such an introduction. Um, so with Sirius Global um, as an NGO based in Rome, our aim is to create uh, a safe space for the new generations of researchers and innovators to grow and to do that with purpose, enough funding and the right guidance. Uh, so as you said, it basically, we started with some uh, main pillars. We let the network grow organically and we just really wanted to focus on what we do best. So focus on education first. Uh, I'm happy uh, that during the pandemic, uh, we also saw the birth of two active communities within our organization, uh, one being the Impact Innovation Alliance and the other, the international medical community that uh, we just generally call IMC. And regardless really of the topics and areas of activities among these um, you know, communities and our network per se, the ultimate goal of our organization is to support implementation of, uh, I would say, a more sustainable agenda uh, concerning the education field in the first place. So uh, supporting as many transfer technology projects as we can from, from them to raise, grow and survive the initiation phase and, uh, and really to descend uh, what they can certainly see is um, a shift also of skills and ambitions for uh, a workplace uh, if we go and uh, compare the boomers and the Z generation for example and so as we go forward we want to appeal to those who are the doers of their generation whether they work in the public or private sector academia or no profits uh, rather than you know those who hold the seat at the moment uh, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Yes, you look up for leaders who can do, solve and create better together. 
And mm. can you share some practical examples? Uh, absolutely. Um, we started actually from topics related to law, economy and technology and then expanded further into medical innovation fields as, uh, as soon as we got the right team for that, uh, <laughs> as, as, as usually happens. And so for a long time, we covered areas again of international criminal law, human rights, the complexities of international trade uh, and the ability uh, to create joint businesses across you know, different countries. Then you just think of uh, you know, transnational crimes like counterfeiting or AML policy, cybercrime, intellectual property issues for joint transfer technology projects, you know, among uh, different universities or other parties and so on. So technology generally was uh, uh, and remains, of course, a big part of, uh, of this all, as we always try basically to merge legal, finance and engineering minds together uh, when we are organizing our events and, and lead projects. So simply for the reason that uh, talking about neobanks as fintechs or AI, blockchain, I don't know, crypto related topics, it's, it's rather impossible to do that being detached from the actual market makers. Um, and so in practical uh, you know, examples, I'm, I'm generally always happy to share uh, our successes uh, with the Impact Weeks that we organized in Linz in the midst of the pandemic in 2020. And oh my God, that's like almost two years now. But uh, simply because uh, doers from across the world managed to fly in and do the impossible in just two weeks. So we had people from Austria, Italy, Croatia, the US, Russia, Australia, Canada, the Netherlands, Germany, all working together in order to launch one software-based product, which was a B2B marketplace for entrepreneurs and an open source ventilator project. And we did really with the flying uh, colors, which uh, just serves as a reminder that if there is a will, even if we were in the middle of the pandemic, there is a way. And uh, with this launch, uh, we worked actually after this launch, we, we worked and created also uh, an MVP for uh, a social network for for impact research and volunteering projects, uh, for them to be able to find funding and new team members wherever they are. So ultimately it should serve um, as an outreach platform for sustainable and impactful projects. And those who actually listen to us and, and, and want to lead a part of this project or really want to be part of it, I will just tell you one thing. So we need you, <laughs> so really please reach out because uh, the communities really work this way. and. Uh, uh, you know, with with the support of a lot of bright minds along the along this uh, beautiful world, and from the IMC side, so the medical community, we have done some um, research around the latest uh, medtech uh, innovations applied to um, to medicine, of course, uh, and uh, organized several events on the future of pandemics, um, as well as two editions of Respicon. So you can actually check that online. Uh, it's a respiratory support inventors conference meant for open source projects that we organized along with the uh, public invention, uh, Every Bread Counts Coalition and Rice University. Yeah, wonderful. May I ask you, Gabriela, what has been the main outcomes of uh, research you've done? So it mainly serves... Um, uh, as, as a reminder of those who are in the industry, so from doctors to engineers to policymakers, when we have also the ability to uh, let them, you know, be part of our conversation, is really like as a reminder to, uh, you know, hey, this is not over. You know, we need to make sure that we have the right set of people working. All the time, so not only when you know a crisis happens, but really to make um, 
this uh, safe uh, bubble work now and later. So the communities are still active and uh, the research just serves as a really as, as a reminder for all of us that uh, we still have work to do, you know, and there is so much more to, to address uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, either um, pandemics and climate change and the doctors were also, you know, very interested in those topics, uh, you know, besides being, of course, uh, all medical, I would say very, very uh, technical expressions that, that uh, you know, they generally speak about. Um, but yeah, this is, this is uh, I would say, as a, as a good reminder. And uh, it's, it's still, you know, um, we we're trying to, to have that every single month um, updated so that we see what is at the forefront of medicine in, in this specific community uh, and what can we do actually, you know, uh, how can doctors, um, you know, eventually uh, give some inputs to the innovators so that the innovators are not lost, you know, in the process because anything that you do uh, medtech-wise, it's long-term. So we're not talking about, uh, you know, a software that can eventually be built in a couple of months and we go online and then search for clients. We're talking about something that will impact people's lives and health. And so it's also... Um, uh, you know, a question of death and life. So if you can build a proper device, you are going to save life with that device. And therefore, it's a long, long, uh, I would say, uh, process where everyone involved, uh, lawyers also, uh, you know, for, for all the uh, different possibilities that, that could go wrong. So everything really needs to be, uh, I would say, set in place. Um, so yeah, the research is always, uh, it needs to be done. Yes, and the world has been witnessing a radical change, not only with the impacts of COVID-19 pandemic, but also with ongoing geopolitical conflicts. So as an entrepreneur, educator and impact innovator, where do you see we need to put our focus at this crucial turning point in the history? Uh, look, I mean, in every turning point uh, in history, you have the doers and the followers, if if you will. And surely each and every one of us should uh, create a safe bubble that will sustain ourselves. And that uh, will do that regardless of the changes in trade policies or, or else, you know, everything that you've mentioned. But other than that, learning skills uh, is what will always be at the forefront in anything uh, you know you do professionally and for your professional personal character actually and so again um, it is very easy to let yourself be distracted today um, as there, there are too many people to connect with too many projects too many breaking news around ourselves so the right balance is really to focus on what really matters for for you for us and if it's your career then go and start creating that project and company right away if it's your family go and populate your family with happy news to share uh, but don't stop um, you know don't stop the surroundings um, eat your ability to perform or willingness to do um, I don't know connect grow and um an upgrade, uh, you know, and so and and just stay active and care enough to do something about a cause that uh, you believe it's going to produce more good in your and other people's lives, but uh, certainly do good. So don't le don't let yourself be of a destructive nature. So be a builder of of good, no matter what. And what role the startup community can play in the development of modern society? Um, the startup community is a shaker, not only of technology, but of values and lifestyles today. 
Um, so the development of modern society, uh, as I see it, is in the hands of engineers and visionaries who have the ability to be motivated enough to change a pattern in our everyday behavior by alleviating pain and solving a problem that uh, we might eventually not even know that we have. But modern society is, is very, very scattered and complex today. So we are all very diverse. So we need to make sure that when we are the ones who are in the startup community doing something, that we do that with a consciousness open and a responsibility, I would say, of a wise person, uh, because there is definitely impact in people's lives based on what we do, uh, uh, if, if, we do it well, if we do it well, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, being into very much also into that field, can you share some current startup statistics in the field of men and women entrepreneurs? And uh, the second one, how many startups approximately get the investor support? Some numbers actually are still very tragic, um, if you allow me this expression. But uh, women-led startups received uh, just um, 2.3% of VC funding in 2020. Um, so I actually found some crunch-based data, uh, data for you that uh, shows that more than uh, 800 female founder startups globally have received a total of something like less than less than 5 billion uh, US dollars in VC funding, um, which uh, was 27% decrease over the same period last year. So uh, these these stats definitely do not work. Um, I don't know. I mean, in, in females, um, I would say numbers, but when when women-led startups do get funded, uh, they're more likely to be successful. So this is what I found, and this is very, very important in general, because, you know, I would say that VC funding is still a very much boys club and tougher for women to break into, that is for sure. But what is interesting really is that female-led startups ultimately deliver higher revenue more than twice uh, as much per, per dollar invested. And this is basically what also some studies found. And so the heavier pushback by investor, the stronger the business plans are, or higher resilience and adaptability are to be found in female entrepreneurs. And it's really no secret that uh, women are in generally high performance and someone perfectionist too. So what I like the most uh uh, you know, is that run, um, women-run businesses are uh, important boom, not only for the economy, but also because they're, these businesses hire more women as well. So um, what we saw is that female founders, uh, companies actually with female founders and a female executive hire six times more women, which is amazing in terms of numbers. And honestly, I do the same. And I just love working with women because there is true power in us uh, when we are coordinated and and driven. This is very interesting to hear. And are there also some special fields of these successful startups? I mean, it's there, of course, high tech, the field to innovate, or is there anything else? So um, when it comes to the industry, it's all very relative. But of course, we're talking about uh, solving uh, real 
problems of, of people. Women generally, um, you know, uh, of course, if you're going for VC funding, you should be uh, able to, to drive that, uh, you know, idea with technology. So it is still mainly we're talking about tech companies here um, rather than anything else. But it also depends on the region because um, when we had some very active African projects, we saw, you know, so many female entrepreneurs in the agriculture sector, for example. In Europe, uh, you know, female entrepreneurs that I know, they're mainly in the, again, technology sector, you know, so building also softwares or we're building some uh, educational platforms, uh, which I would say, I mean, it really depends on, on who comes with which type of background. You know, if you if you think of uh, neobanks, you have a very successful entrepreneur, you know, in Brazil, she built, uh, you know, a billion dollar company in, in like building a new bank, you know. So uh, there is very, the, I would say the industry is very diverse. Uh, so it all comes with, uh, you know, the background of the entrepreneurs uh, themselves. Now I would like to switch on uh, the field where, where you are also very much strong. And I would like to ask you the next question. Coexistence in the metaverse certainly brings us new cyber risks. So in our personal as well as professional lives, cover digital and cybersecurity matters in a multinational management consulting firm. How do you see the challenge of the invasion of user privacy by tech companies? It's not anymore that human beings are dealing with the data, but unfortunately, vice versa. And in fact, it's uh, one of the primary reasons why some, uh, I would say, popular tech companies are happy to provide their services for free, because doing so allows them to collect users' data, you know, on an unprecedented scale. Uh, but um, that may have changed, actually, in the past couple of years. Um, if you think earlier this month, so we're talking May, um, you know, 22. For example, we have more than 1.4 million uh, long and short-term residents of Illinois, so it's a U.S. case, uh, started receiving checks. So people started receiving checks of some uh, $400, uh, a little bit less, uh, as a compensation uh, for um, a class action lawsuit settled against Facebook. So uh, these uh, plaintiffs, you know, um, uh, alleged that the social media platform illegally used facial recognition data, gathered without consent to prompt users to tag their friends in photos. And if you remember uh, a couple of months ago, uh, Facebook committed that they will not use this type of technology anymore. And um, but uh, we, we are seeing uh, this type of lawsuits being settled not only with Facebook, but uh, there, there, there is a very big likelihood that this is going to happen also with uh, Google Photos or uh, Shutterfly that, uh, you know, incurred also in similar class action lawsuits. And it's very interesting because it's in Illinois because that allows this type of action in the first place. And, uh, you know, since we're talking about the U.S., there is basically no single law uh, regulating online uh, privacy. Uh, instead, uh, you know, a patchwork, I would say, of federal and state law apply. And this really leads to the biggest global tech companies, mainly, again, based in the U.S., the role to decide what to do with the collected data and so on. And so, of course, um, here in uh, in our you know uh, part of the world, we have the GDPR, but uh, there is so much more work to do in order to actually make any of this happen, uh, or let's put it that way, to change the pattern um, of this type of uh, collection. 
And for these purposes, of course, in the long run, uh, legislative colleagues, they really need to be aware of how technology works in the first place and not try to regulate something that they don't understand. And there is so much more to, you know, to tell on this topic, but I would definitely, you know, focus again on education because whoever is dealing with this type of topics needs to understand what we're talking in the first place. So educate yourself first, take your time, but do it, you know, correctly and try to do the best that you can, not to mess up the market too much, let's put it that way. Yeah, because it's not only the, the social media, it's also the, the data, for example, in the banks, um, the medical data. So every, everything is actually digitalizing and very quickly. So has this perspective also been really taken into account seriously enough or the technology is actually too fast and this part the the security is still let's say too slow uh, look um i can give you an example you know what's happening in switzerland but uh, the canton of zug uh you know is allowing companies to pay uh the uh invoices that the canton is issuing in bitcoin you know, so uh, there are many different uh, ways and approaches. Uh, Malta was the first country um, that had a very interesting, you know, blockchain regulation, uh, whether it worked or not. But I mean, this is something this is something else. Um, but again, we, we have, uh, you know, when it comes to data protection regulations, we do have countries who care. Um, so we have Nigeria that, uh, you know, issued uh, their law in 2019. Uh, Canada did, uh, you know, um, the same with uh, with their um, uh, pipeta. I don't know, like, uh, if this is the right uh, <laughs> spelling for, for the Canadian law, but um, they have something as well. Australia also did it. Uh, you know, back in 1988, uh, you know, the Privacy Act or, or in Brazil, you also have something in Japan, Thailand, uh, um, Chile, um, and China has like more of a cybersecurity law. So it's, of course, a very different perspective on, on how they are tackling this. Um, I mean, Egypt, for example, for Africa, it's also, uh, you know, a country to mention. So we do have laws that are set in place, but definitely this is not enough. This is number one. And number two, it's really, do they work? You know, are we talking about, you know, a simple administrative uh, fee that, you know, eventually big companies just, uh, you know, settle uh, at the end of, uh, you know, an audit or what do we do? You know, so there is a, a bigger question on the practical um, approaches of such laws. And uh, this is uh, yet to come because we are still in the process um, so we, we are definitely going to be, um, you know, uh, if we want to be the actors, we can definitely uh, support this type of uh, um, laws being created or just uh, rewritten. But at the same time, uh, we'll, we'll definitely be, you know, the watchers of, of what's happening uh, ahead of us. Thank you very much, Gabriela. Yeah, it's still a way to go. And for the end, I would like to ask you, being the eco-civilization wing of Austria, how do you perceive this movement and where do you see its main role towards the nowadays challenges? I just have one word for this, uh, which is co-creation. And this co-creation of good with people who care. So personally, I want to contribute by focusing on topics close to me. 
like those related to the future of work and new technological upgrades, if you, you know, allow me this expression. Uh, but as this uh, generational change is going to be even more visible in the near future, um, the change of perspectives from egocentric to eco-civilization is actually crucial. And so... And I just want to make it very simple, but this is exactly not the reason why I'm very proud to be, you know, here and be just of support for this type of, of cause. So co-creation. Thank you very much, dear Gabriela Marcellia, for this bright and optimistic eco-civilization podcast interview and for sharing your time, work and experiences with the eco-civilization friends. Dear listeners, thank you for joining us today. We would love to have you join us on our social media channels as well, eco-civilization Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn, and of course on our website ecocivilization.eu. Enjoy the summer and we will hear us again again next month in July.